find a seat so we could get started promptly. Before we jump right into it, uh, I'd like to open uh, the study in prayer. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask for God's blessing on our study today, this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, you know, for this day. This is your Lord's day. And we pray that um, everything that we discuss, uh, the information that we're about to uh, discuss would be pleasing to you in your sight that um, we would all learn by it so that we would use it in our day-to-day -day lives and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So, um, I was asked, uh, and this is my uh, second time, I guess, that I'm teaching adult Sunday school, um, probably going to be more uh, repetitive as we move forward but um, I'm glad to do so. Uh, and Dave had asked me, well, Rick, you know, it's up to you. What do you want to do? So uh, I'm like, whoa, okay, fine. So, um, you know, I have this uh, ESV um, uh, Bible, and I just got this, you know, because I was brought up with the NIV, which is, you know, like, unsanctioned by, the, you know, all the Reformed, you know, people. So I'm, I'm just joking there, but... But anyway, you know, I bought a ESV Bible, and, you know, it's one of these Bibles that actually have, you know, a list of all the uh, creeds and confessions, you know, at the end. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought, wow, you know, um, you know, how did these creeds, uh, you know, come to be, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? And actually, the, the creeds, um, confessions, and catechisms that are in this are actually you might call it a copy or a ripoff of this book by uh, Professor Chad Van Dixhorn, you know, who teaches at the Westminster uh, Seminary in, um, in Philadelphia. So, um, and you know, I will say it's my, my typical uh, thing is I am not classically educated, <laughs> okay? So I didn't go to seminary or anything like that. I'm a scientist by training. So, um, but uh, I will say that um, delving into the historical basis of, you know, the creeds and what they mean, uh, confessions, et cetera, uh, you know, I got so immersed in it, my, you know, Shawnee is telling me, Rick, you're going crazy. What are you doing, okay? I'm buying all these books and, you know, it's like, in, and there's one guy says this, another person says that, and, uh, but I think I made, you know, some practical sense out of things, uh, and I have that in a handout. So, with that said also, if there's anything that might be a little bit off, please, you know, call to my attention after. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, get into these historical debates, you know, right now, but if it's something that's really, really, really like, you know, I don't think there's anything heretical in here, but, um, you know, I will say, you know, please, you know, bring it out and I'm glad to receive it because I could pretty much tell you that this is not the last time that, you know, we will be teaching about creeds, confessions, et cetera, et cetera, because, you know, obviously, you know, there's a rich, you know, traditional history, you know, with catechisms in the Reformed faith, right? So with that, all that being said, you know, years ago, in, in the beginning of, you know, in the early church, 
you know, it's, it's kind of somewhat obvious that there wasn't a lot of, you know, written word. They didn't have, you know, books, you know, like we do now. Now we have the internet, we have books, you could read anything you want online, some trash, you know, some pretty good. Uh, but, um, you know, there wasn't, you know, the written word wasn't as plentiful as it is today. And uh, so much of, um, you know, what has been known was through verbal communication other than, you know, obviously, you know, the letters of Paul, you know, that, that we know, letters of Paul to Timothy, Hebrews, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, those weren't on a, the Gutenberg press, so they weren't, you know, handing them out like, you know, candy. So, uh, but anyway, much was known through verbal com communication. And we also read, you know, in Paul's epistles, you know, that he says that things that were handed down, you know, to him by Christ himself. So if there's this verbal, you know, communication as time, you know, went on. So, and, and you know, the creeds were developed too as a matter of simplicity, right? So you're distilling biblical truth into some unalienable, you know, facts, okay? So that they could be remembered and repeated exactly as time goes on. And I'll get into, you know, flesh this out a little bit as, as we go. What uh, Dr. Van Dixhorn states in his book, you know, that I think is pretty interesting is, um, you know, Christians uh, in the early days were pretty open, okay? They were pretty open about their faith and what they believed was true. Uh, and that's quite opposite when you think of, um, you know, cults and things like that. There's this secret knowledge, you know, we're gonna hide it, you know, from you. But, you know, Christians, you know, in the early days of the church were very open. You know, this is what we believe. We're giving it to you right now, boom, right in your face, right? So, you know, it's, it's um, you know, something that, you know, I think was uh, interesting to me that, you know, he put it in that way. Um, <clears throat> and even today, you know, I, I, in pondering about it, some Christian denominations, you know, don't be quite believe in studying creeds, and that's quite the, or, or catechizing and things of this nature, something that we believe very strongly in, you know, as, you know, as the Reformed faith, and that's because they're like, well, you know, where's that coming from? You know, it's not straight out of the Bible, right? Well, you know, sorry to say, but, you know, all these things that have been distilled came right out of the Bible. In fact, you know, a lot of things that you read, you know, in the creeds themselves are straight out of Paul's mouth, okay? So, practically speaking. So, you know, um, when, when we're t talking to other people of other denominations and faith, you know, we should bring that out. Yeah, you know, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, we recite the Nicene Creed, but you know where that's coming from? That's coming from here. When it says God made the heavens and earth, it's coming from Genesis, okay? You're gonna prove me wrong there? So, um, you know, um, I get really wound up, I apologize, but, you know, my, my New Jersey comes out maybe. But, you know, as they say, history repeats itself a little bit, right? So, you know, the church has developed where we have, you know, these creeds, confessions, and catechisms, but my point is there is a good reason for that, okay? And we should use it to the benefit, you know, of our faith. And, you know, early on, typically these statements are a result of heresy or some kind of disagreement, right? So when we look at, you know, the, um, 
you know, the catechism, the Westminster Catechism, well, that was borne out because through the Reformation, they had disagreements with the Catholic Church, right? And here's what we're trying to tell you, all right? Uh, so, you know, and, and one of my brothers early on was saying that whole, that whole Reformation thing wasn't, you know, and through this, I don't want to, uh, you know, bash the Romanists, if you will, but, you know, the Roman Catholic Church have some things right, and with the, with the Reformation, you know, the whole thing was trying to set them straight, which didn't quite work, of course, but, um, you know, we have, you know, we, we have the things that we believe is true in a Westminster uh, Confession of Faith and a larger, shorter catechism. So, um, you know, def and, you know, these, these creeds came to be at first, they were pretty simple declarations, and then as time goes on, you know, they became confessions because we learned more about what we believe and we had to delineate things a little more. We had to, uh, we, it resulted in what I'm writing down here as a more defined realization of what the scripture teaches. So, you know, these things become lengthier, right? Um, so, and, you know, we might think even now, like when we recite, you know, the creed, the thought occurred to me, we say, oh, yeah, well, this is pretty rudimentary. Of course, I believe it. But, you know, as uh, growing up, and, and I apologize for this, maybe, as growing up Catholic, you know, we used to read, uh, we used to recite the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed every Sunday, okay? Every Sunday we, re you know, we recited the creed. And, you know, interestingly enough, um, I say we think it's rudimentary because it gets to a point where you recite it every Sunday and it's like you don't think about it, right? You just say it, right? And what I would like to do here as time goes on and hopefully um, I could get through this in the next today and next week is, you know, when we recite the creed, it should have a picture in our minds where we're getting that from, right? So we don't just say it and not think about it. We're saying it and we're thinking about what we're actually saying, all right? And this has a basis as we, we talk a little bit later because, you know, we'll make the point, or I'll make the point, that at the time the creed was a manner of when you're baptized, you're reciting the creed, okay? That's what people did. Do you believe that God made the heavens and the earth? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is his only son, the Lord? Okay, so, and, you know, we, we do kind of do the same thing now, right? So when somebody is baptized, you know, I have, you know, as, uh, you know, an elder, I have to, you know, I don't have it by, by memory, so I have this thing that comes out of the Book of Church Order. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, et cetera, et cetera, right? So in the early church, when people were baptized, they had to recite the, uh, the creed, okay? Or the credo, as one of my other brothers mentioned to me. And credo, um, Mark, means what? Latin for I believe. Okay. So confessions and catechisms became necessary because more clarification was necessary on certain topics, et cetera, et cetera. So um, what can we say uh, about the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed? So if you're following my notes along, I'm now on the page two, top. Okay. 
But even before I get there, uh, in, the, in the first page, you'll see the list of creeds and confessions and catechisms. And I'm hoping that maybe if I'm given more Sundays to teach, you know, I could go through at least, you know, some of these later uh, definitions, confessions, and creeds for you. Okay, so um, the Apostles' Creed. Um, typically, and, and in my reading, it's typically cited as the, f as the earliest version, you know, of the creed. And, and, you know, depending on what you read on the internet or any kind of books and so forth and so on, it's also called the Apostolicum, Apostles' Creed, or symbol of the apostles, 12 articles of faith. Uh, creed can also be derived fr uh, from the word symbol. So in some of my reading, you might, some people call it maybe a symbol, but it's also, could be also defined as a creed, okay? The symbol of faith, it's a distinctive mark of Christians, of Christianity in the early church. And I've also learned too, and it was kind of a surprise to me because like I said, I'm not classically, you know, uh, schooled in this kind of thing in church history. I think I, you know, when I went to Catholic school, we had, uh, you know, we had uh, church history, but it was skewed toward the Catholic church. It wasn't really on any of this. And even if they did talk about it, I wouldn't have remembered it anyway, because I was always fooling around when I was a kid. But, uh, but anyway, um, scholars generally agree that the Apostles' Creed in its current form was not directly uh, written by the Apostles. Now, surely enough, it was dramatically influenced, significantly influenced by the teaching of, of the Apostles, which I'll, you know, review in just a second. So please don't get on, on me right away. Um, most believe it came to be, quote unquote, in the fifth century, and that was as a uh, simplification, if you will, of the Nicene Creed uh, that you might know, okay? Um, and that was the Nicene Creed, the Council, first Council of Nicaea occurred in uh, 325, and then later on the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, so I have that actually incorrect. And I had to always, you know, kind of go back and say, okay, fourth century, what year was that, right? So you got to you know, it sounds like it's like a long time, but it's really, you know, 100 years, you know, forward, uh, if, if you understand what I'm trying to say there. But it's not directly written by the apostles. Uh, there are even some legends, if you will, uh, that attribute the Apostles' Creed to a time shortly after the Ascension. So you might read in, in some, some book or some things that, oh yeah, uh, the apostles got together and each apostle had a word of the, you know, a line from the Apostles' Creed and they put that all together and that came out. But that uh, scholars have somewhat debunked, you know, that myth, if you will. And some believe that it was possibly from a letter from a synod in Mil Milan uh, in 390 A.D. So. You know, early on, there's a lot of people, a lot of different churches that were writing different things, which tended to be maybe somewhat not true and some true, okay? But, you know, some also believe that the Apostles' Creed uh, to, um, you might say, uh, uh, support the theory that the Apostles' Creed was an early version 
was because of its silence on the divinity of the Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but, but most scholars believe that this is a weak argument, you know, as well. Uh, nevertheless, and, and I'll get to the point on what kind of creed there was in the first and second century and before the Council of Nicaea, which I'll, I'll line out in a moment. But further, uh, scholars, you know, have this debate to tie, you know, what we state directly to the original apostles. You know, like a lot of scholars, you know, they start thinking about, well, you know, did all this stuff come exactly like from the apostles? Well, the answer is no, but it's, it's obviously doesn't conflict with biblical texts directly or indirectly. Like I said earlier, in a lot of cases, um, you know, a lot of these things are practically coming out of uh, St. Paul's mouth, right? So um, there were creeds similar to Apostles' Creed that were used, again, as I mentioned earlier, as baptismal creeds. And the first one that we know of is called the, what's called the Old Roman Symbol, okay? And I'll get into that in a second. It's a kind of a proto-creed, if you will, but um, there's certainly other evidences of verbal and oral creedal or doctrinal teachings, okay? So if we read, you know, any of, you know, Paul's writings, you know, he'll say, you know, for I deliver like in, um, from 1 Corinthians, you know, the 15th chapter, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. He's talking about what he received from Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so again, as I mentioned before, there's this, you know, oral tradition, you know, of, of biblical truths. Um, and I have, you know, just for your reference, I don't want to get into this, but, you know, I have a list of the, what is considered the early, you know, some of, you know, the early church fathers. Uh, for example, when you read, get into this, you read about St. Polycarp, who was, uh, lived, ostensibly from 69, uh, the year 69 to 155. Uh, and the, he was evident, or apparently connected to the Apostle John. So he was a disciple of the Apostle John. So what I'm trying to say here, there is that apostolic, if you will, succession in many of these teachings, okay? He wrote very uh, little, you know, whether that's important or not, but uh, he was a teacher to what we'll find out as um, Arrhenius, which is a little bit further down. And if anything that you could get out of this section in my uh, writing here is that Arrhenius is probably the main person, okay, in church history that put all this together. He was, uh, he was, um, uh, taught by Polycarp. He was a bi bishop of present-day Lyon, France. He wrote um, a book called Against Heresies, which pointed to or intimated this proto-creed that I'm talking about, this rule of faith, okay? And he also was known as arguing for the, uh, the four Gospels that we know of today as being canonical, okay? So, a pretty significant saint, you know, in the history of the church. There's others uh, like Ignatius, Clement, Justin Martyr, Tertullian. They all are known as being, you know, very strong in the faith, although some, 
you know, have, I mean, it's kind of an interesting, the early church history is kind of interesting because a lot of these guys, you know, were they were strong in a the faith. They wrote a lot, you know, to um, against Gnosticism and all this other crazy stuff and, and thinking that was occurring in the first and second centuries in the Christian church. But, you know, uh, some of these guys just fell into basically heresy and, you know, they were, you know, considered heretics. But, but anyway, there's a lot of orthodox thinking, but also a lot of, you know, you might say heretical thinking as well. But the fact of the matter to me is Arrhenius is probably the main person uh, that was a stalwart, if you will, you know, in the early Christian church. Now, page three, what was an early creed? Okay, what was considered an early creed? And uh, in my um, uh, research, you might say, uh, there is something called the Old Roman Symbol. Okay, that's what it was called, the Old Roman Symbol. And this, uh, this creed was also called the Rule of Faith or Rule of Truth that uh, Arrhenius uh, writes about. And he wrote about that in the second century, so that's, you know, the 100s, right? Um, Arrhenius, as I mentioned before, was the last known living connection, if you will, with the apostles, since he supposedly heard the preaching of Polycarp, okay? So, and Polycarp was a student of John um, the Evangelist, okay? So, St. John. And... You know, this early, this early creed, this old Roman symbol was mainly to counter, it's almost like, you know, if you're gonna be a Christian, first of all, you need to know this, you need to believe this, you know, God made the heavens. Second of all, this is what you need to believe. Third of all, this is what you need to, to you know, need to believe, this is what you need to confess. So, but it was to counter the heresies of, of mainly of Gnosticism. And you hear a lot about this, especially in, uh, you know, the epistles of, of Paul. But if you were to ask me, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what was Gnostic belief? I probably couldn't tell you in, in, in an, a couple of sentences because depending on where you read about it, it's all kinds of things, but mainly, um, these people taught that there was a hidden knowledge, and Paul mentions this, you know, in, his, in some of his letters, okay? A hidden knowledge. Uh, also, that Jesus Christ was, was not a real person, you know? He was a, kind of like an apparition, okay? Um, God, or in, in uh, Gnostic thinking or monad, shows himself in various emanations. They call them eons and it got to a point in my reading where I said oh god I mean enough's enough I mean I can't take this anymore but you know everything is evil even yourselves and your body and that's why the apostle Paul was saying you know people are beating their bodies into submission right um, and and that obviously that's not true which is why you know these creeds you know came to be and it was a dangerous heresy all right at the time and a lot of people were kind of, you know, talking about it, right? Um, <laughs> you know, history repeats itself. I mean, even today, uh, you know, Mark was mentioning to me earlier, we, ha we have Mormonism, we have, you know, uh, 
We have Jehovah's Witnesses. We have all kinds of crazy stuff that it's not orthodox thinking, okay? Um, you know, a, a former pastor used to make a, a um, when we, were, we lived in Columbus, Ohio, they used to make a, he used to always make a comment, you know, the, uh, the game has changed, but the names are still the same, okay? So, like I said, history repeats itself. But consider the context back then. I mean, you know, we have an early church that's starting. It's spreading like wildfire. We have, we have single churches all throughout Asia, even into uh, Greece and, and Italy and, um, you know, the Holy Land, et cetera, et cetera. We have Greek, Greek spirituality, Roman spirituality, Judaism, mystic theologies, Gnostics, pagan religions. Uh, it's a mishmash, you know, of, of different things, right? So creeds were, were necessary. And it was more or less, in, you know, these were used, as I mentioned before, interrogatory declaration of faith. So just as I mentioned before, we do this in a sense today, do we not? You know, when somebody's baptized. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, somebody in one of my uh, things that I've been reading is kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Um, that's kind of like a parallel maybe. Okay, so what is the old, old Roman symbol? So on the bottom of page three, I lifted this out of, and I, have, I do have a bibliography, so for you, uh, scholars that are so interested in the back it's not a it's not a great bibliography but this came from an online um, uh, publication from faith life website but I think they got it from a uh, from a person by the name of Kelly it's another book I wanted to buy but you know Shawnee said you know like seventy dollars for this book where are you going to use it but anyway, um, probably not. But anyway, um, you know, it goes like this. It goes, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, so God and man, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and buried. It's interesting that even from the beginning they were talking about Pontius Pilate. And it's kind of funny, like, you know, when I'm putting stuff on the Internet, you know, I'm doing a search, is uh, it always, you know, corrects it as punches, you know, and pilot, like, you know, I'm like, you know, it's the punches pilot. But anyway, on the third day, uh, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus is coming back and he's judging. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. So you can see right there, the earliest of creeds has all main aspects of the Apostles' Creed and even the Nicene Creed. Now, as time goes on, different people are saying, well, what about, you know, they're, they're picking things apart. We're learning more things. Okay, so what about this clause you have here? What about that? So it got to a point where in the first council of Nicaea, which we'll s uh, read later on, they had to flesh out, if you will, and be more specific, delineate what a lot of these things really mean, okay? So, um, but anyway, um, almost top of the hour. I'm running out of time already. All right, so what does this symbol mean? You know, the old Roman creed, what is it, what are we confessing? You know, why is it so important? So. What I'm going to do here, 
Uh, and then after we get through this, you know, I'll probably want to, you know, open it up for any questions or comments and things of that nature. And then we'll probably continue on with the Nicene Creed next week because that gets into a little more granularity. Okay, so with that said, um, overall, when we look at the old Roman symbol, it's obviously Trinitarian, right? It's obviously Trinitarian right from the get-go, and it's Christological and uh, some redemptive, I would say, uh, loosely speaking. Okay, so um, let's kind of pick that apart, you know, just a little bit. So in the first, you know, first statement, you know, and I'll go statement by statement, it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Well, you know, each word is, you know, we often hear Tim say words are important, right? So um, I believe, as Mark said, the creed, I believe, this is what I believe in God, the Father Almighty. So not just some demigod, you know, like Romans, you know, the Greeks, they believed in all these, you know, demigods. And so there's one God, okay? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, all right? And as I said before, you say, you know, we're believers, right? So we think, okay, well, this is pretty rudimentary, but let's think about it, right? So what we're actually saying, God the Father is the maker of all that is, okay? Not a bunch of you know, Greek guys, gods, you know, running around, con you know, consorting to do whatever, but we have one God that made, you know, I believe in one God, all right? Um, and it's, this is consistent with uh, Judaism, right? But he's not only God, but he is our father, okay? And this is a very important aspect. You know, God is not just some God, okay? He's up there, he's unrelatable. He is our father, he's dad, all right? He's our father. Um, Jesus himself, right? He made a big deal out of it. His, his prayer, our father who art in heaven, okay? And he's almighty, right? So, uh, you know, you heard, you know, Mark, you know, in one of his, his Sunday school classes talking about the attributes of God. He is almighty, right? He is almighty. And then right away, you know, in this uh, and in other creeds, they flesh this out a little more. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So Jesus Christ is not only God's son, but he is our Lord. How many times do we hear, you know, okay, Jesus Christ is our savior, right? That, that's, that's great, okay? That, that's fantastic, love it, right on, okay? But he's also our Lord, okay? He is also our Lord. Okay, so, and then who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary? Okay, so this is the first salvo with the Gnostics, okay? So they think that, you know, Jesus was just some guy, right? Well, he's not just some guy. He's, not, he's the son of the Father, and he was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. So what they're alluding to here is, is, the, um, is the mystery, if you will, that Jesus was very God and he was very man, okay? He was very God and he was very man. And a lot of people, and even today, right, 
A lot of people, it's hard to get your mind wrapped around that, but he was both God and man, and that's what, you know, the, the creed is getting at over here. And then it goes on, you know, under, you know, Pontius Pilate, you know, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried. Again, this is not just some, this is not just some, like, theoretical thing, all right? Jesus actually lived. He was a man, both God and man. He was actually real. He wasn't an apparition. And this is also pointing to, when they say Pontius Pilate, there's two things there. When we say Pontius Pilate, that puts a date on when this happened. Because everybody knows who Pontius Pilate was, right? He was like, he was that guy that was ruling, you know, in, in the Holy Land, right? I mean, all the historians will say, I know exactly who Pontius Pilate was and who he was and when he was, right? So they put a date on that. And also, you know, how he was crucified. You know, we, we hear a lot about, you know, uh, crucifixion. It wasn't, it wasn't, crucifixion <laughs> wasn't just getting murdered. It was being totally humiliated, okay? It was being totally humiliated. tortured and buried okay so you know he was buried and he just like okay when I die I'm going to be buried okay so Jesus is you know because of his humanity is relating to our condition okay he's relating to our condition so he's buried and then of course he ascended into heaven so in later creeds will see that fleshed out you know a little bit more and what that means but not only he ascended in heaven but sits at the right hand of the father so when we're talking about sitting at the right hand of the father what does that mean anybody want to th throw out what they think that means the sitting at the right hand right hand of the power authority power the right hand is always the strongest hand in biblical times, right? So he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And not only that, but he will come again to judge the living and the dead, okay? He will come again to judge the living and the dead. So, you know, this is very Christological because, you know, it's showing that it's not just, again, some occurrence Jesus himself lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back. <laughs> he's coming back, right? So get that through your, through your mind right now. I was going to say something else, but anyway. Um, okay. And then, and then um, in this old Roman symbol, we bring in the Holy Spirit. Well, we know that, you know, the, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, right? He said, the one who's going to come, okay? He's going to make all things evident, you know, to you. And the Holy Spirit, you know, the whole book of Acts, you know, discusses and teaches about, you know, the Holy Spirit. So there is the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit um, is, is, is brought to be because that Holy Spirit uh, is a, um, he is, first of all, he has a personhood, right? He has person, 
uh, qualities to him when we read about the Holy Spirit, but he is the instigator, what I will call the instigator and sustainer of Jesus' church, right? He is the instigator and uh, sustainer of Christ's church. So you have that statement in the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Church. Well, you know, the men talk about, you know, we, we have this book that we're reading, The Holiness of God, but when we talk about holy, we're talking about it's sanctified. The church is sanctified by God Almighty, okay? So it is separated for, sanctified for a purpose, and that is for his glory. And so, um, and then, then we have for the remission of sins. Well, um, the work of the church and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our propitiation, we have remission of sins, right? So that comes into play there, and not only that, the resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting. So it's almost like we go through the process, right? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, everlasting life, okay? So um, right there, and this is what, like I mentioned earlier, we're talking about, you know, the early, you know, second century when, when this came to be. So when people come into the church, they're baptized, they are to believe, you know, this old Roman symbol, they recite that, okay? The one thing that I thought was interesting that I failed to mention, and it's 10 minutes after the hour, I need to kind of start to wrap things up here. But they always talk, you know, I, I read this other book, which is, um, which I think is pretty interesting, um, by an Oscar Coleman, it's called The Earliest Christian Confessions, and he, it's a translation, he actually wrote his book in, in French and, uh, and German, but he goes on, he talks a lot about um, what's called uh, Jesus's confession, okay, uh, in front of Pontius Pilate. A good confession, you know, they call it. And I was thinking like, what? in the world are they talking about? But basically, um, and, and this is the other reason why they bring up in the creed Pontius Pilate, was that in a sense, Jesus told Pontius Pilate that he was God, in a sense, okay? If you, if you remember, you know, um, Pontius Pilate asks him, well, who do you say you are? Say you are? You know, and, he, and Jesus essentially tells him, well, I'm not of this world, okay? Um, you know, and other people called him the son of God. So actually, it's recorded in the book of John that Pontius Pilate was actually afraid, okay? So obviously, you know, t at least to me, um, you know, Pontius Pilate sensed something the otherworldly, right? This, this man is not of this earth, okay? Uh, which made him a little bit afraid, but not totally, so he didn't retract what he did, but that was all, you know, to display Jesus' glory anyway, right? Because he needed to die, he needed to be buried, and he needed to be raised, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so any questions about what we covered at this point. I know that's a lot, but uh, 
Yeah. Make the quick comment. Very excellent uh, work. Um, uh, early on in, your, in the class, you talked about denominations that don't believe in reciting the creeds or the confessions, and they have this real problem with it. You know, they, they, they have an aversion to ever using the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. They don't even know what the other, they never even heard of the Heidelberg Confession, you know, catechism. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what that stuff is. And when I came into Christianity about 40 some years ago, I ended up in churches that were like that. And, and yet, they had their own creeds, but they would sort of deny that they had them. Yeah. So they were like living this hypocritical situation. And I'll, I'll just say this, the detail about it, then I'll be quiet, but maybe for a while. But um, they, were, they were in what's called dispensationalism. And they, they uh. followed dispensationalism. And back at that time, Schofield's infamous Bible was still in use. And there were older people in the churches I was in that, couple of ch Baptist churches, that was their, in essence, confession. That was their guide. It was, Schofield's notes were, had the, almost the same um, force or, or authority as the scriptures itself. And so they had their own little ways of thinking, but yet they were in denial. Well, we don't have any creeds. And so when we go to uh, even people, <laughs> new age people, they get their ideas from somewhere. You know, it's not just out of, it just doesn't come out of the blue. When the 39 Articles of the Church of England was formed, it wasn't out of the blue, it was to address issues just like, you know, all this has happened all through history. And so we can always go back and, and, and ask people. And, and then we, when we get to like you talked about, when we get down to this, they are just restatements or clarifications and actually sometimes paraphrases or direct quotations of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And they're very helpful, and it keeps us on track. So I think it's a good thing. And it, it, it when I sort of about 20 years ago started dis discovering these kind of things, it believe me, it cleared up a lot of confusion of my first 20 years of my Christianity. It was it was very it's a lot of confusion and double mm -hmm. standards, and this really helps. So thank you again for being brave enough and putting all that work in to do this. It's very helpful. Oh. Appreciate that, thank you. Mark. People may or may not be aware, but there is, there are Trinitarian wars occurring even amongst reformed Christians. It's called Trinity Drift. And yeah, it's, there's a battle going on. You may not even, I've spoken of it. I mean, for example, the eternal submission of the son, that's just an example of one of them. But that's what the creeds are there for. and. You know, directing people back to the creeds is how can you say that based on what we know to be a common mm -hmm. creed. But there's there's a lot of big battles going on, and it's um, it's interesting. It's good to be aware of it. That's I think just to underscore your point. That's why the creeds are there is to set people yeah. right and who we basically it's to protect the oneness of God, the three persons of the Godhead. And Jesus having, you know, the two natures. Right. That's basically. And, and those were the those were the main arguing points in the early church. You know that Jesus was both God and man, and that there's the Godhead, the three in one. Right. Uh, there was a lot of you know problems with that. Other than you know the obvious, you know who is God, and you know He made heaven and earth and all that you know type of thing.
Sir. There was another, yep. Yeah, Hi. I think uh, it is important to realize that uh, even early on in the uh, church, uh, there was a creedal differences in the Western, that is Latin churches and the Greek or Eastern churches so that uh, you did not yeah. have the Christological controversies in the form that we see answered like Sabellianism, modalism, things of that sort, answered in the uh, Western creeds. The uh, Apostles' Creed and Roman Creed tended to be the de facto creed of the Roman and Western mm -hmm. church, uh, of which uh, Irenaeus uh, mm -hmm. came out of, for instance. Since he, although he grew up in Smyrna, was for 40 plus years the uh, Bishop of Lyon. Uh, but you see in the uh, Constantinople and Nicene mm -hmm. Creed, the answer of the uh, uh, Sabellianism and uh, heresies of that sort. Uh, thing to note is the uh, Nicene Creed eventually was used uh, in the West, but they did add what the East did not, the filioque clause, so that ultimately the Nicene Creed did become the preeminent creed in all of Christendom. And I'm sure you're gonna talk about that. Yeah, that, that'll, be, that'll be next week, so stay tuned. That's when we, uh, there were two uh, first councils, if you will, the first count, the Council of Nicaea, is where the Nicene Creed was first formulated, but then later on, there was this, you know, still this debate uh, over the, the natures of Christ, and so uh, they, um, the emperor at the time, I forget his name off the top of my head, but uh, he wanted to bring together the Eastern and the Western churches so that they would all agree. Well, you know, as we know in church history, that lasted only for, you know, some, a little bit of time, and then, you know, there was a split, but, um, you know, it, it was all, over, again, it was, uh, you know, all this controversy uh, over the person of Jesus Christ and the Trinity, and so, you know, that's kind of where we are today, and we, we, you know, we have typically, we'll, um, in most churches, we'll have the Apostles' Creed, which, you know, like I said earlier, believe, some believe that's just a distillation of the Nicene or Nicene O Constantinopolitan Creed, if I got that right. So,
Okay, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're kind of out of time. It's uh, 20 minutes after the hour and we have to get ready for worship. So um, with that, Bob, do you mind uh, praying for us and closing a prayer? Thank you.